Sing it out. This is our destiny. The battle's already won. Hello, and welcome back to the uh, Home Bible Study Podcast. We are currently studying in the letter to the Hebrews, and we have come to chapter 12. We Last time we looked at verse 1, and we saw the closing arguments of uh, the writer. It's as if he is um, presenting facts in a, in a court, and he's presenting these facts, and now he's moved to his closing arguments. If you are not familiar with this letter, then I encourage you to take time to study it and revisit it because there's a lot of wonderful blessings in this letter. We've just kind of skimmed over some of the things that are here, but um, it's worth your investment of time and study. And if you've been following along, um, you know that we've enjoyed a lot of um, very good instruction. So now we come to Hebrews chapter 12. And if you would turn in your Bible so that you can follow along with us. Like I said, last time we studied verse one, and now we're going to study starting with verse two. Uh, and I'll go ahead and read that first, um, the verse. And I'm reading from the King James Version. Uh, that's my favorite. So uh, you just follow along in whatever version that you have. Um Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, that may not seem like a lot uh, in that one verse, but there is. There's quite a bit, quite a bit more than I'm able to cover in the time that we have today. So, I'll just uh, do my best to bring out what I can and uh, trust that the Lord will lead us all in our study. And uh, God, the Holy Spirit, is able to make us to see everything that we need to see. And I lean heavily upon um, that fact and that truth. So as I said, we've been following along with this writer and he has been presenting a case to these Hebrew believers. And remember when the church first began, there were only Hebrew believers. It's all there were. And so this writer is a Hebrew himself appealing to that culture and speaking directly into that experience. And he's doing it in a masterful way. And he's bringing us along with these Hebrew believers because these we're a very versed in the Hebrew history through the Old Testament all the way up into the New Testament and it's been a pleasant journey to revisit some of these um, believers of the past and to see the correlation between the Old Testament and the New Testament, how that God is still the same, how that his essential character, his person is consistent throughout. The only thing that's changed from the old to the new is that we have been drawn closer to him and he has come closer to us. And so that's why Hebrews speaks of better things. And that is the theme of this letter, how that we have as a church better things and even the Old Testament um, saints. So it's an encouragement to us because it's easy for us to get discouraged 
discouragement it leads to uh, faithlessness and faithlessness unbelief so the whole letter is designed to encourage us to continue in the faith to trust and believe the lord jesus and to lean heavily into his grace and his goodness and his purpose for our lives and so with that said we're going to take a look at this uh, verse and see what it is that we can uh, learn from what the writer is saying so as i said uh, the writer presents his closing arguments of why we as a church you know the saints of the church age have it better than anyone who's had a relationship with god in the past and there's been a lot of people you know you think about the people that he mentioned uh, moses uh, abel um, all these past believers and you think about the wonderful and great things that were done in their lives but even compared to them, we as a church age have it better than they did. And that's almost, you know, hard to believe, but it's true. And he is, this writer has presented the facts to help us to come to that understanding. And we need to kind of, you know, chew over these facts. We need to take it in and chew on it and really meditate upon these, um, these truths because as we meditate upon them, they become a part of us and God, the Holy Spirit will use that meditation to build us up and show us all that we need to see. So we, we have it better. That has been presented. That is, he's presented all the facts of how we have it better in this new covenant and this new relationship with the Lord Jesus. Back then, they knew him as Jehovah, Elohim, several names. But we know him as Jesus, the one who saves us. And so the relationship has become much more personal. There's no longer a tabernacle and priest in between us and God. Now there's Jesus. We can go directly to the Father through Christ. And in Christ, we have everything that we could ever desire in God and in a relationship with him. And, and this is the message of Hebrews. So we have this witness uh, that was mentioned before in uh, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great cloud of witness. So we talked about that and the reference that that was to all that God has done in the past and through these people. And that should encourage us to see the faithfulness of God. And it's it's good for us to be encouraged. But the encouragement is not to look to those witnesses. The encouragement is to see what God accomplished in those and through those people and what he is today accomplishing through his people. That that should encourage us to look to him. And that's what this next verse is saying. It says, looking unto Jesus, not looking unto the witnesses. Be encouraged by the witnesses? Yes. See the faithfulness of God through the witnesses? Yes. But you look unto Jesus. Right. Too often we're tempted to look to people. We see other believers that we admire and we admire their faith and the gifts that God is using and how he's manifesting himself in those people. And we could kind of put them on a pedestal. But the truth is, is that they're just like us. They're just saved sinners. And anything that we see in them that's good, that's beautiful, that's admirable. That's the Lord Jesus Christ in them that we're seeing. 
So we have to acknowledge that and praise and glorify him for the work that he does in them and understand that they're just people just like us. So our gaze should be fixed upon Jesus. That's, that's where we should be looking. And the writer is going to give us uh, reasons why we should be looking unto Jesus and also to help us in doing that because this is the key really to success. So we're given many examples in the previous chapter. You know, a great cloud of witnesses is what he says. Yet, as I said, they're not the example. We have to look to Jesus. Those faithful saints were merely examples of his faithfulness, of his work, of his power, of his plan and purpose in the lives of people just like us. So we are to look to Jesus. And the interesting thing is, is that that's the answer to any question that you may have in regards to your life and regards to God's purpose for your life. You know, if you have any concerns about, well, am I, you know, serving him the way I should be? Uh, the answer is to look to Jesus because he will answer that question for you and he will say, yes, you are serving me and this is what else I want you to do. Or no, that's not the way I want you to serve me. I want you to serve me this way. But the only way we're going to get those answers is to look to him. He is where the answers are and we can't fall into the temptation of looking elsewhere. Now, does that mean we can't turn to people for advice or um, things like that. No, no, we can't. It's fine to get advice. But if you're not ultimately looking to Jesus, if that advice is not um, filtered through the word of God and his purpose for your life, then you shouldn't be listening to it. So ultimately, our direction, our guidance, our comfort comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have to look to him. And that's the encouragement that we're getting from the writer. He says, looking unto Jesus. And that is the only viable answer to any question as it pertains to the believer and the believer's life. So he continues to build on that. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So let's look at that word, the author. What does that mean, the author? Well, the word there is translated author means the chief or the captain. So Jesus is our captain. Jesus leads us as one who is an expert at traveling these different oceans and seas that we of life. He's already gone before us and he knows the best way to get to our destination. I'll say that again. He knows the best way to get to our destination. We don't know. That's where the faith comes in. So we have to trust him. And we can look around and think to ourselves, and we may even get advice from other people that tells us contrary to that. That says, no, you know, you got to take the bull by the horns. And when opportunity comes, you got to jump on it. Or, you know, you're not moving fast enough on stuff or you're moving too slow. Well, the key is to listen to the Lord Jesus because he knows. He knows the best way. And it may not get you there the fastest. Uh, it may get you there faster than you thought. 
But either way, if you're looking to him, the captain, then you know you're traveling the way and the pace that you should. Remember, we're in a race. That's what he told us. And there's a path and that path needs to be illuminated. And it's illuminated by the presence of the Lord Jesus. Um, he is our captain. He's the one that we follow. And when the captain says to do something, you do it. And you trust that the captain knows. He knows what he's doing. He's done this before. He's experienced. And he's going to go the best route and care for those who are under his command. And if a, if a, a human captain is capable of those things, then how much more the Lord Jesus Christ? He's the captain of our souls. Okay, he's the one that leads our souls into all righteousness. Uh, and we we know this because the word of God says it. You know, this is the promise that he's made. And here it says that he is our captain because he's gone before and he leads us in the direction we should go. Um, in Hebrews 2.10, it says, For it became him for whom are all things and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So the Lord Jesus has taken this route and he knows the route and he knows that that route will include suffering. And he wants to lead us through that. But the difference is, is that he's given us grace that all the suffering that we go through that we can expect is filtered through his grace. It's filtered through his love. So whatever things that we suffer, just know that we're not suffering anything the way we could be. But if we follow him, if we follow the path that he lights for us uh, and trust him as our captain, then he's going to take us through the safest, best route with the least amount of suffering because he wants uh, to perfect us and he knows how to perfect us. Uh, just as he was perfected. So Jesus didn't spare himself the sufferings. And we really cannot expect to avoid sufferings either. It's a part of being a believer. That's what we've been called to. Uh, we should be like our Captain Jesus and rejoice in the promises that he's given us and keep our focus on him. Why? Because he loves us. Um, that's why um, he loves us. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author or captain and finisher of our faith. So what does that word finisher mean? What is that? What does it mean to be the finisher of our faith? Well, that word means, uh, can be translated a state of perfection or completeness. So the object and the goal of the Lord Jesus as our captain is to bring us to a place of perfection, of completeness. So that suggests that we are not perfect now, right? Which I don't know anybody who thinks they're perfect. I certainly don't. And so we can see in him perfection. We can see in him everything that is right, that's good. And he's our example. That's why we have to keep looking to him so that we'll know how to live, how to grow, how to serve in this life that we're living. That is a life that is accompanied by suffering. So how do you live in a life like that? 
How do you walk by faith? Well, we follow the path that he's already made for us as our captain. And the goal and the purpose of all the things that we face is to bring us to this completeness, this state of perfection. And he's faithful to bring us to that, that point. The work that each of us must complete along this path that we're walking or we're running, however, we're, whatever pace we're going, is what makes us to mature. The whole entire letter of Hebrews could be summed up in press on to maturity. That's what this letter is saying, because you have wonderful, great and better things before you. You have better things that you possess now compared to the old covenant. And our response to that should be to press forward to the high calling, to to follow our captain unto maturity. Jesus knows all about this life that we walk in. Uh, and he knows what it means to suffer. We don't have a God that doesn't understand what we're going through. There's nothing that you can experience that he doesn't know intimately what that feels like. Now, I don't. I can't enter into your suffering. I can only know my own. I can get some idea of your suffering by, you know, auditory and physical um, signs. Uh, I can also understand your suffering when I have experienced something similar. But the way it impacts you is not always going to be the way it impacts me. So I can't really enter completely into that. But the Lord Jesus can. He knows. He knows the private things, the very intimate things that you struggle with. And he wants you to bring them to him. And he will lead you unto maturity. He can lead you through those hard things and take you to where he wants you to be. And you'll find that in that process, you will learn more of him and you'll know things about him that you couldn't know any other way. And that's really the blessing of taking things to him is that we become closer. We become closer in our relationship and our walk. We're, we are called to a life of suffering. Uh, but it's a very purposeful and meaningful suffering. The key to our success is to believe the Lord Jesus and in faith, trust him. That is the key to being successful. It seems very simple, but as you know, if you examine your life, you can see that it's not always that simple to do that. But the writer here is going to encourage us and to show us how we can accomplish this. So, First, we have to understand as our captain and the finisher of our faith that he's intimately aware of yours and my trials and affliction. Uh, nobody else may understand what's going on. You can't even tell sometimes your friends what's going on or, you know, people that are very close to you. They just you can talk to them about it, but they don't necessarily appreciate it. But the Lord Jesus knows exactly what's going on. He is intimately involved in every trial and affliction. And that's the thing that we forget, that he is there with us. Uh, but if we keep our eyes on him, we're looking at our captain, then we, we're reminded that he's right there with us. And it's a comfort. Remember that Jesus sent Satan to afflict Job. Remember that in the book of Job? And although it was a shock to Job, right, when all this happened, Jesus was aware 
of everything that was going on. And he even protected Job in it. In Job 1, 12, it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thy hand. So God said, yeah, you can, whatever he has, you can do whatever you want to do it. But you better not touch him. His soul belongs to me. His soul is mine. So that's how it is. That's the extreme case, I think, that could happen. When we go through trials, we have to understand that there's a purpose for it. And we look around and it seems so unfair. You know, we're trying so hard to do what's right. And it seems like the world is against us. And it is. It actually is. But that's okay. Because the Lord Jesus has intimate knowledge about what we're facing. And he's using those things in our lives for a purpose. So Jesus uses trials to help teach us and make us into a complete mature servant. The one, the, the, the complete mature servant that we need to be for him. I mean, it's for us, our benefit when we mature and it's benefits and glorifies him. It's a win-win. So the path that he takes us on, whatever it is, we must trust him. That's, that's walking by faith. The author and finisher of our faith. That's what it says. So that's his purpose to be the captain of our faith and to bring us to a point of completion through faith. Faith is a very important part of our lives, and we can't overstate that. Our faith is the story of Jesus in us. That's what the, the, our faith is. It's a story. It's the witness and testimony of Jesus in our life. Um, can you look at your life and say that you represent the Lord Jesus completely, you know, perfectly? I can't. <laughs> I certainly can't. But that's my desire. Well, how do you get there? You get there by following the captain. That's how we get there and keeping our eyes on him. So we need to just press on and press forward in faith. Very important. Not just to go forward, not to press on, not just to run, but to run in faith. That's the, that's the key. And sometimes you're going to walk in faith. Sometimes it's a slow process. But as long as you keep your eyes on him, you're going to grow and you're going to get where you need to be. He's going to make sure of that. Now the writer turns our hearts to encouragement because, that, you know, that's a heavy um, instruction that we've been given. And he wants to encourage us. The writer wants us to be successful. And the writer knows from experience that this is the only way. He knows from revelation and he knows from experience that this is the only way to succeed. So uh, he wants to encourage our hearts. And as we come to the conclusion that, you know, we really lack so much in our walk of faith. Now he wants to point us to the key to success. He's saying, yes, you know, I understand. You know, you've looked at all of this. You see the Lord Jesus as your captain and you see the great chasm between who he is and his perfections and who you are today. But he says, don't let that discourage you. You keep looking to him because there's that's where you're going to find that success. He's going to point us in that direction. You know, how did the Lord accomplish this? If he's our captain and we're to follow him, how is it that the Lord accomplished 
this? How was he able to accomplish this in his life, in his ministry? Well, it says here, who, that's talking about the Lord Jesus, for the joy that was set before him. Oh, so here we see another key to success. So looking to the Lord Jesus, right? Who's our example, who's our captain and our leader. And we have to have a certain mentality or attitude that's going to carry us through these trials and these adversarial um, uh, things and people and situations that come against us uh, that try to take us off the path and to get us to stop running, to get us to stop walking in faith. The key to that is to mimic our captain, who for the joy that was said before him. Well, what was this joy that was said before him? The joy that encouraged and empowered Jesus was the church. That was the joy. Oftentimes, we're described the church is as a bride being prepared for the groom. And the groom is the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's going to be a great wedding that's going to happen where the bride and the groom are going to be joined together for eternity. And the whole institution of marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. And when you look at marriage from that standpoint, marriage is beautiful. And the problem is, is that nobody looks at marriage from that standpoint. It's, I shouldn't say nobody. It's rare that people get married under that umbrella of instruction. But once you learn that and you're exposed to that, you can see the beauty of this relationship and what it is and what it means. So everybody gets excited. Most people get excited about weddings. So we have to, you know, kind of put ourselves back and think about when, you know, you were in a situation, maybe you recently got married or you've been to a wedding recently and think about the excitement associated with that event and with the, the idea of two people meeting one another and falling in love. That it's a beautiful thing to think about when it's true love and it's reciprocated and these two people can't imagine living life without one another. And then what comes next? A wedding. So as a groom is promised his beloved bride and is encouraged by the promise of her being in his arms with nothing or no one to come between them. That's the way Jesus looked to the church that the church would be his to love for eternity. And that's the joy that encouraged him to go on and to face the many challenges that he must have faced every second. Now, we can't really appreciate what the, the Lord Jesus experienced because, you know, we are sinners. We are accustomed to sin. He was not. And he lived in a world that had this filled with sin, that has the curse of sin upon it. And he lived in that world every day with a purpose. Well, and the the more he matured, the more he became, 
how can you say in his humanity, he be, became joined with his godhood. He kept a lot of his deity kind of from himself. He says he emptied himself of a lot of his deity so that he could experience what it's like to be a man. And he could experience life the way we experience life. The only difference is he was apart from sin. So he had to deal with the stench uh, of sin every day. And on top of that, all the other things, uh, if we've experienced any kind of uh, persecution or affliction, his was far more. Okay. So why would he continue? What would, what, what kind of joy is in that? Well, there's no joy in that, but the joy is what he knew he was going to accomplish. What he knew was sure to happen because the father had promised him a church and he knew that the father was faithful and would accomplish all that he said. If the father said he'd give him a church, he was going to get a church. Father said he was going to exalt him through the heavens. He'd be exalted through the heavens. And so he knew these things were his. And that was the joy that encouraged him. Like he left glory. So it certainly wasn't glory that encouraged him because he left glory to come here. Um, Jesus didn't gain anything by coming to becoming a man and taking upon flesh. He gained nothing. The only thing he gained was the church. So that's the only thing that could have been the joy that was set before him. Jesus meditated upon his love of the church. And he said within his heart, how beautiful are thy feet with shoes, O prince's daughter. You know, that's the song of Solomon 7.1. He only saw the beauty of the church, the church that would be perfected the church that was glorified, the church that was um, exalted with him and bound to him for eternity. He saw that beauty and that beauty and that love for the church is what was his joy, right? That provoked him to continue on and to um, face all that he faced. Jesus sees us, when I say us, I mean believers, the church. He sees us as we're destined to be, complete and perfected. Okay, This is how the Father sees us in Christ, perfected in Christ. The process of getting there, of this perfection, is the walk of faith. And that's why we have to f face all the, the trials, the sufferings, because they are working in us to make us and to put us in a place to be presented perfect before him. And this is what gave him joy. This is the joy that was said before him. Um, Thy lips, O my spouse, drop as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under thy tongue. Song of Solomon 4.11. So the Lord sees us as in this perfected state because he knows that that's that's where he's gonna he's the captain of our uh, perfection and he's gonna make sure we get there we on the other hand can easily lose sight of that 
So since we can't see ourselves that way and we don't know what that looks like, we look to him because he's the example. In him, we can see all the perfections that await us. And so what what did this uh, love inspired joy encourage Jesus to face? Because that's what it says. It says, for the joy that was said before him, what? Uh, endured the cross. So the negative here is endured the cross. The positive is the joy. The negative is endured the cross. The cross is not where we see any joy. The cross was a place of cursing, a place of pain, a place of extreme suffering for the Lord Jesus. Um, he didn't go from everyday suffering to something great. He went to from everyday suffering his entire life and being faced and surrounded by sinners to an extreme uh, suffering that I don't have words or the ability to articulate. A lot of people go around wearing, uh, you know, crosses with, you know, man crucified on it, but that's not where the joy is. That's, that's not where we, we should be rejoicing in or looking to not a crucified Jesus because that's the place of his suffering. Uh, that's to me just a very clever way that, Satan has uh, celebrated that uh, that cross in a way that um, just is very subtle. But that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're not supposed to go around wearing crosses because the cross is not where the victory was made. The victory is in the resurrection of Christ. When the Lord Jesus, the sacrifice itself was wonderful, but the Lord Jesus being sacrificed uh would be meaningless if the father didn't accept the sacrifice. The resurrection was the proof that the father accepted that sacrifice. And now Jesus has salvation to give. So the cross of Christ is, is where evil celebrated, you know, with a passionate hatred, a kind of a perverted happiness. Uh, the whole world, Jews and Gentiles alike at that time, paraded the Lord Jesus as a spectacle of shame. That's what the cross was. The cross was a, a spectacle. And Jesus was not looking to the cross with any type of joy. But, you know, he dreaded the thought of sin being placed upon him and the subsequent separation from his father. Those are the things that the, fault, that the cross had waiting for him is that all of our sin, all of those whom he was going to save, their sin would be placed upon him. And also that sin would separate him from the Father. It says he wept and sweated profusely as drops of blood. He was not looking forward to it. There's no joy in that. The joy was not in the cross. Matthew 26, 39, And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as I will. So you see, the Lord Jesus was not looking forward to that. And in his humanity, he didn't want it. But uh, the key to that verse is, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. 
So we're going to come to times in our lives when we're faced things that we're not going to like. And that we're not going to enjoy them. And it may be something you have to face every day. But we have to come to this place uh, that the Lord Jesus came to that says, nevertheless, I don't like this, but nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. So that we are casting ourselves completely upon the Lord Jesus and his ministry to us. The only way you can do that is by keeping your eyes on him, by looking to him. Because when you look to him, even though you may be suffering, you'll be reminded of his love. And his love is able to ease any pain. It may not take it away, but it'll definitely ease it. And it'll make you to be thankful even. But only if we keep our eyes on him. If we start looking at the situation, we start looking at the suffering, we start looking at the ones who are attacking, then you know we lose sight of the purpose of what's going on. So it's very important for us to keep our eyes on him. And we have to practice that. Jesus in his humanity cannot bear the thought of the sin of all the elect being placed upon him. The sickening realization of such an awful fate is beyond our ability to comprehend. Uh, we're accustomed to sin. And we're kind of, we're just the opposite. We're new to that, the things that are holy. You know, that those are the things that are new to us. And we have to learn to walk in holiness. Sin, we can do that without even thinking. So we can't really understand the repulsiveness of sin. So, you know, we're born into this and into separation. And God takes us from that state to bring us to him. So we're, we spend more time uh, separated from God and in sin than we have many of us being saved and um, indwelled by God, the Holy Spirit. So God has to use very graphic pictures to reveal to us from his perspective, the repulsiveness of sin, you know, how repulsive is sin to a holy God? Well, he uses these pictures to tell us, uh, one example is in Isaiah 64, six, he says, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. So anything that we consider righteousness that we can do that might be right in the eyes of God, well, you can put them all together, okay? Your entire life of you trying to do what you believe is right, what you think is right or good uh, in your eyes. And God says that they're filthy rags. And that word for filthy rags means a used menstrual cloth. So... That's what our righteousness is to God. So we have to understand that the sinfulness of sin is complete. <laughs> it is a complete corruption. And there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to please God. And, you know, unsaved people, they think, well, you know, if I do this or that, well, your perspective is coming from a dead person. And a dead person can't do anything to please God. You have to have the life that is in Christ, uh, the indwelling of God, the Holy Spirit, being made new, a new creature through salvation. That's the only way we have any opportunity to do anything that pleases God.
And then another example of what sin looks like to to the Lord Jesus is in Zechariah 3. Zechariah 3, 3. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel or messenger of God. So this the picture is that Joshua was a high priest that year. And Zechariah saw him standing next to, uh, standing in all these filthy garments. Uh, and the garments that he was standing in represented the sin of him and all the people. And he needed new garments. He needed to be cleansed and receive new garments. God doesn't take our old garments and just wash them. He gives us new garments. He doesn't take our heart that we have and then make it, uh, you know, better. No, he gives us a new heart. One that beats for him. And the filthy garments that are referred to that are a picture of the sin of the people. um, The word means that they had human excrement on them. And they smelled. Right? They were filthy in that sense. And that's what sin is like to a holy God. You know, that's the closest that we can get to understanding how awful sin is and that's why we need to keep our eyes on him and walk by faith so that we can move towards this completeness um, the maturity that can only be found in serving the lord jesus and looking to him for it because we can't do it on our own jesus has endured the cross that's what he endured Uh, the joy that was set before him was what it took to um, be able to endure this cross. Like there was, there was dread and, you know, there's, there's, the Lord was not looking forward to it by any means. Just like we don't look forward to any suffering, any trials. We know that they're coming. We know that we have to um, endure these things and we don't look forward to it. It's not something that, you know, you wake up in the morning and go, yay, you know, I got some new trials today. That's not how we look to trials. We, we, we don't want them. In fact, sometimes we even allow the desire not to face trials, keep us from serving the Lord Jesus and take us off the path. And that's what the letter of Hebrews is telling us not to do. Don't be discouraged. Don't stop trusting. Keep looking to the Lord Jesus. Don't look at the situation. Don't look at the trials. Look to him. He's our captain. And we have to understand that if he faced trials and uh, tribulations in life, we're going to face them too. That's what he said. He says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And we can't allow that hate to stop us from serving the Lord Jesus. We have to serve him in the face of that. And that can be very difficult, especially if it's friends or family members that are um, directing that hate towards you. But we don't look to the, the hate. We look to the Lord Jesus and we just press on. Jesus endured the cross. Now, the cross that he endured is not like any other cross. It is the cross. That's why he says the cross. It's not like any other cross. Not like the cross of the thief that was crucified next to him. Uh, That thief deserved the cross and much more than the cross. 
just like us. You know, we deserve hell and the lake of fire. That's what we deserve. Every person is born into sin and merits hell and the lake of fire for eternity. So that's what we deserve. Uh, we're just like that thief. You know, we deserve that punishment and far worse. But Jesus, on the other hand, the perfect one, he deserved only honor and glory. But that's not the cup that he drank. He endured the cross. That cross was much more than anything that we could even comprehend. But he endured that. He did that for us, for those of us who are the church. And he did it because he loves us. He faced that because he loves us. And to show how much he loves us, right? So that we would be able to understand the width and the depth and the height of his love, he endured the cross. Now, we may not understand the love of God just by someone telling us, well, God loves you. Uh, the Lord Jesus loves you uh, more than you can understand. Well, yeah, I can see that. But we can understand because of his holiness and his righteousness, how much he hated this cross and the pain and the suffering associated with it. We can understand that. And the extremity of that helps us to understand the extremity of his love. Because we know better the negative. We learn from the negative more than we do the positive. That's the principle that we're dealing with. And that's why we have to face suffering because we're going to learn more through suffering than we are through not. Unfortunately, that's the way it works. And Jesus didn't spare himself of that rule. You know, he, he, uh, he did not spare himself of that. So we can't expect to be spared. We have to just keep our eyes on him. That's what the writer is saying, looking to Jesus. So, how did Jesus feel about this cross? You know, you may think that I'm making a lot of assumptions about how he felt about the cross, but I'm not. I'm just going by what the word says right here. It says, despising the shame. He endured the cross, despising the shame. So that word for despising speaks of an intensity, um, an intensity that I'm not able to put into words. So the the level of despising is beyond what I can describe. But if you take something uh, that you despise the most, um, something that's revolting, something that you loathe, um, and how that makes you feel, well, then you could probably multiply that times as many people as he's saying. If you think about the myriads of believers that he has saved that he saved upon that cross that go all the way back to Adam far into the future beyond us and you can multiply that despising times each one of those individuals and you still wouldn't have a good understanding but that's how that's what he faced he despised the shame that's how he felt about it but he did it because of us because he loves us so if you think about that, it's really hard to question if the Lord Jesus loves you. Because that's really what causes us to take our eyes off of him. It's doubt and unbelief. So if you 
Keep your eyes on him. If you look to all that he did and has done and is doing for us, you're reminded of his love. And then you're ashamed that you ever doubted it. But that's why we study the word. And that's what the writer is saying is look unto Jesus. So think about this the next time you are faced with trials or oppositions, when you're ministering the gospel and um, it's not received well. Because we're not told to try to control how it's received. We're just to do it. We are to proclaim the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and minister the gospel to those who are unsaved. And that could be very challenging, but we do it because we love him. And we have to think about that. That's what we're called to do. And think about and be encouraged by how much the gospel has done for us. And we hope and we pray that it will do the same in the lives of others. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes um, we don't get a positive response to the gospel message. Sometimes it even causes people to um, say bad things about us, misrepresent our character. Um, that's what we're told in the earlier part of uh, Hebrews, where it says that we're made, uh, some of you were made a gazing stock. And when you're reproached and afflicted, all of this just because you love the Lord Jesus and you're doing what he's commanded us to do by faith. You know, this this happens, this kind of thing does occur. But you know what? In spite of those things, we're going to look to him and we're going to be obedient to his command because he's God and there's nothing or no one that is above him and above his word and his truth. And to be able to accomplish this in the life that we're living is challenging. And the only way to do it is to keep our eyes on him. He suffered far more than we ever could. Uh, the suffering that uh, we dread and that we fear is really the key to our perfection. So we have to embrace that. We have to embrace the fact that suffering is a part of our life and it will be. We must look to him and find joy, not in the sufferings, but in the honor that he's allowed us to suffer for him. Um, in Acts chapter 5, 41, it says, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And I think that's the key. We have to understand that there's a purpose to everything that is happening in our lives. And we have to rejoice in the fact that the Lord has called us to this purpose. And he's allowing us to enter into a ministry that is meaningful to him and purposeful for us. So what was the result of the cross? Jesus was resurrected and given all power and salvation to give to his beloved church. He became, you know, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the people. He now is sitting upon his throne as the prophet, the king and high priest. 
And we need that ministry of the high priest. We need to have that one to go to to cleanse us from every sin. And what is he doing on his throne? He's waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. That's the economy of God is that there's a purpose. There's a time frame that he's working within and different dispensations that we're seeing being played out. And now we're a part of this church age and we're a part of that witness and that testimony of who he is and what he's accomplished. In Psalm 2, it says, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Well, that's because of sin. And the heathen are going to rage. They're going to rage and there's nothing we can do to stop them from doing it. That's the natural response of sin. Our ministry is to proclaim the salvation and the truth of the word of God proclaim the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. That's our purpose. And he will lead and guide you. He'll lead and guide me into when and to how to do that. But we have to be looking to him. Uh, it also says in Psalm two, verse four, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. This is looking forward to that day when, he comes and he judges this world. He judges the entire earth. And, you know, the world is going to be shocked and surprised because there's a certain amount of comfort associated with um, not facing immediate judgment. Well, what's the only thing, the only witness and testimony of God in this world? It's us. It's us. That's our responsibility is to witness and testify to who he is and what's coming. And that's part of what we're here for. And the Lord uses that to make us to understand and to know more about him. In verse five of Psalm two, it says, then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Verse six. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. So that's where the Lord Jesus is. He's sitting upon his throne. And it's a throne that's established. Uh, and we're to testify to that. To warn and to exhort uh, those who are lost. that To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Um, it says here in Hebrews. And it's sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the place of power, preeminence, and glory. And that's where the Lord Jesus is. And that's where we're going to be. Until then, we have work to do. We have to get to work. And we have a testimony and people to witness to. And thankfully, because of others witness before us, that's how we were saved. So now it's our turn. We're to take upon that mantle and to go forth in the world, whatever part of the world he has you to be in, he has me to be in, in the um, territory that he's given us to witness and witness and be a witness and a testimony of his goodness, his power, his truth, and even his judgment that's coming. Jesus is now guiding his people to glory. 
and leading us as we run to him in faith, believing. That's the key. He is the king of peace and righteousness. This is the one with whom we have to do. The king of peace and righteousness. And we get to tell, we get the honor and the privilege of telling people all about him. I love talking about the Lord Jesus. I love talking about him. Why must we be told to look to him? That's what I find interesting. Why would we allow anything to cause us to look away from him? Why do we have to be told and exhorted to look to Jesus? Well, that's because we have a sin nature and it's a battle, right? But the key to winning that, to getting ahead of that, is to keep our eyes on him. It's so easy to look away and it shouldn't be. He's so beautiful to see, to look, to gaze at him is to see his perfections, to see his beauty, to hear his voice, to have him speak into our lives. That's how you keep your eyes on him. Why would we turn away from that? Um, we should be like that, the bride in Song of Solomon. She says, his left hand under my head, his right hand should embrace me. What a beautiful picture that is. That was her expectation. That was all she wanted is to have the embrace of her beloved. Well, that's us. We're the church. That should be our goal is to be embraced and to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and have him embrace us. That's the pure love that we get to enjoy. That's the love that he's blessed us with. And we have to remember that. And the only way we can do that is by keeping our eyes on him, looking to Jesus. So we're, we, we're going to say collectively, like the bride said, um, make haste, my beloved, and, and be thou like the roe or to the young heart upon the mountain of spices. Song of Solomon 8.14. That's what we want the Lord Jesus to do is to make haste so that we can enjoy his embrace. And that embrace is eternal. He has everlasting arms. And he wants to take us in his arms and love us forever. And we don't even, we can't appreciate completely that love without learning of him through faith, through this walk. And he has a, that's the purpose of this walk of faith, the life, the that he's leading us through as our captain, it's because it is gonna make us to be able to receive that love perfectly and completely. And so let that encourage you and encourage me to walk by faith. The message to the unsaved is very different. Your suffering is yet future and there's no grace or honor associated with it. If you're hearing this and you're unsaved, you're going to suffer eternal shame and a fire that's more fierce than you can even imagine. Because that's the punishment associated with sin. And if you're, if you're left, if you die in your sin, that's all you have to look forward to is judgment. So we're here, those of us who have been saved, are here to proclaim to you the day of salvation, 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that can deliver you from that. The bride is the church and the bride has a warning for you. In Song of Solomon, it says, the bride says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that ye not stir up nor awake my love until he please. So that's the encouragement that we have for the unsaved is that there's there's a stirring up that's coming. You know, the Lord Jesus says that when he comes, he's coming in judgment. Then he came the first time to save the second time he's coming in judgment and in wrath. Um, and so we encourage you from Psalm 212, it says, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. And that's what we're encouraging you to do if you're unsaved. To call out to him for life. Ask him to give you life. You know, ask him to give you life so that you can walk by faith and put your trust in him. Right now, you can't do any of that because you're dead in your trespasses and sin. And they're keeping you from a life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And only he can give you that life. He has it. He earned it. And it's his. The Father has given every, all power into his hands. And now he's the one you have to go to. He says, no one comes unto the Father except through me. Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, so that he could redeem all those whom the Father gave him. It says in John, I pray for them. I pray not for the, the world, but for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine. So he's not praying for everybody in the entire world. He's praying for those whom the Father has given him. And unless you're one of those, then everything that I'm saying is to your judgment. If you're not elect of God, if you're not the elect, the ones that um, the Father gave to the Son, then all I'm doing to you now is telling you about your future judgment. But if you are, if you are one of those, there's nothing that's going to keep you from being saved. And that's the blessing. But I don't know who those people are. I don't know. I can't. There's not a, a sign that says this person is elect and this person is not. All I know is that the Lord Jesus has grace to save sinners. And if you're hearing this message, then I pray that you would, you know, call out to him for salvation because that's what your greatest need is there is nothing more important than that because you don't know how much longer you have on this earth none of us do and so our salvation is precious and salvation is only found in him so since the lord knows who those people are we're going to commit our message our life to him we're going to look to him and Trust him that he would reveal in all those who are his elect, his salvation. And for the others, well, you're going to experience the wrath that's to come. And this is your, um, this is me letting you know that. So all of us deserve that. But God, in his grace and his mercy, has decided to 
manifest his love and grace upon some. Not because they deserve it, but because it's his will to to do so. And the Father has, before the foundation of the earth, chosen who he was going to place his love upon and who he wasn't. And if you're hearing this message, I pray that you're one of those who will experience his love. That's that's my hope and my desire. Jesus endured the cross and was resurrected to show that the father accepted his offering. That's that's the joy is in the resurrection that the father accepted his offering, not the cross. The cross is where he endured the shame, but the resurrection is he was resurrected unto life. And now he has eternal life to give to whomever he wants. Now Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the people. And he bears the marks in his flesh of that cross. And that's the only um, witness and testimony we need to have that he's the Lamb of God. And that he took away the sin of the people. He took away my sin. And if you're saved, he took away your sin. If you're not, then I exhort you to cry out to him for grace while it's still called today. To reject his grace is to drink the cup of judgment and it's bitter and it's foul. No sin is worth that price. No sin. So I exhort you to humble yourself before him and he has grace for you. Call out to him. Ask him to save you. That's what you need. For everyone else, we're going to, those of us who are saved, we're going to take this exhortation to look unto Jesus. And we're going to encourage ourselves and one another to do just that. And may God give us grace to not take our eyes off him, that we would be so enamored like the bride was with the groom in Song of Solomon, that he would fill our every thought, that we would see all the blessings that he's given us, and that we would praise him continuously. It's in Jesus' name I pray for that all these things would be true in your life and made real. Let's close. Father, thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Thank you for your word. And I pray, Father, you'd make it to settle in us in a way that will cause us to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus. It's amazing that we have to be instructed to do so. But I pray, Father, you continue to show us more of his perfection and his beauty to the point that we would be lost in our gaze upon him that everything we would do would seem to be trivial in comparison to the things that we do for him and that we will find our joy in serving. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.